0: We heard Jesus use some very graphic and gruesome imagery, cutting off one's hands, feet, and gouging out one's eyes. But how are we to understand what Jesus is saying? It is helpful to go back to the beginning of the ninth chapter where our reading comes from. There we encounter an extraordinary event, the transfiguration, where Jesus reveals the reality of his divine nature, radiating through his human flesh to Peter, James, and John. And they also saw Moses and Elijah conversing with Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, they heard the voice of God the Father. None but Peter dared to speak up, And even what Peter said made so little sense. So overwhelmed was he by the experience. Shortly after that event, Jesus was approached by a man pleading for his son who suffered from a combination of a physical illness and demonic attacks ever since childhood. And the man begged Jesus, If you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can you ever do that to Jesus lord if you can do this and Jesus saying if and he challenged the man to believe in desperation the man said very bluntly i believe help my unbelief that's the universal cry of every believer when overwhelmed by life. It's after all this our reading comes into the scene. The disciple John took great offense at someone who does not follow us, using Jesus' name to cast out demons, and boasted he even tried to stop him. And you sense that Jesus was very irritated with John. Do not prevent him. And launched into his unusual remark. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, okay, just who are the little ones that Jesus refers to? And just as important, who is the whoever, that causes one of the little ones to sin. Now, some argue that the little ones refer to children. And indeed, some translations use the word child instead of little ones. Given all that happened earlier in the chapter, might I suggest that the little ones refers to all who are weak in their faith, those who struggle with their faith especially when it is challenged, much like the apostles when they witnessed the transfiguration and couldn't make heads or tails out of it, or the man who desperately sought help for his stricken son and wanted to believe but knew his belief wasn't sufficient, or John, who was deeply offended, perhaps even threatened by this outsider using Jesus' name to cast out demons the little one then, can be any one of us that has become weak in our faith, overwhelmed by life, by the unexpected, struggling to believe. But how is it that we become weak in our faith? Get, our, get thrown off balance and wander into an interior state of chaos? It's a question for all Christians. I don't give a hoot which church they're in. And I discovered an answer, not as a Catholic, but when I was a Protestant, reading the works of St. John Chrysostom. Now, the ancient fathers of the church had no doubt as to the cause of that interior darkness and chaos we can find ourselves in. It happens through personal, spiritual neglect. And it does so in two ways. Our unwillingness to admit we are fallen creatures. We think very highly of ourselves. We think we're just probably the brightest beings in the universe. We're not. The COVID virus, if it's taught us anything, is a little tiny virus can kill off almost 700,000 people in this country alone. We're not that powerful. We are fallen creatures that live in a fallen universe, and bad stuff happens. Secondly, from the refusal to acknowledge that we are fallen creatures, we resist critical self-examination of our conscience and we will refuse to make a fearless moral inventory of our lives. The result, we ignore the seriousness of our sins, make excuses for them, maybe even elevate them into a virtue, not realizing all the time they have the potential to send us to hell where Jesus says the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, I realize we don't hear a lot about hell these days, and many today have embraced the intoxicating, the delicious lie that all we have to do is believe in Jesus in order to go to heaven. It sounds wonderful, but Jesus never said that. Consider... That the devil and all the demons believe in Jesus. They know who he is. Is it doing them any good? Besides, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Merely believing is insufficient. It must be accompanied by actions befitting one who is in a relationship with Jesus. And that relationship is vulnerable to the corrosive effects of sin. Saint John Chrysostom, writing in the fourth century, gives sound advice to us in the 21st century. He wrote, so it is with sin One who lives soberly sees easily the mire and the stain, but one who gives himself up to wickedness, like one made drowsy with drunkenness, does not even realize that he is ill. This is the worst aspect of evil, that it does not allow those who fall into it even to see the seriousness of their own diseased state. But as they lie in the mire, they think they're enjoying perfumes, so they do not have the slightest inclination to free themselves. St. John Chrysostom dared to speak the unpopular truth to the Christians of his day and ours, a truth no one really wants to hear. One can lose one's salvation by the choices one makes in life. I was raised in the church, once saved, always saved. Sounds great, not true. In another work, St. John Chrysostom says, Yes, I know a chill comes over you on hearing these things, but what am I to do? For this is God's own command. Ordained as we have been in the ministry of the word, we must cause our hearers discomfort when it's necessary for them to hear. Now we can make sense of Jesus' warning about cutting off hands, feet, and gouging out our eyes. He is using hyperbole, excessive exaggeration, to drive home the point that it's our responsibility to cut out, to remove, gouge out whatever would pervert and undermine our true dignity as sons and daughters of his father that he personally redeemed on the cross and who strengthens us in this battle with the gift of his body and blood in the mystery of the Eucharist. The battle against sin is not just with what's out there, but how much of what is out there we have invited into our lives. And that can deprive us of eternal life. But what about the whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin? Who are the whoever? They can be anyone who tries to discourage us, confuse us, mocks our faith, ridicules us for believing. They can be friends who want us to go back to old behaviors revealing that they don't really love us. They can be outwardly very pious and religious people who on closer examination actually abuse religion to prop up their fragile egos and manipulate others. They can be religious leaders Ministers and priests who claim they alone know the path to salvation and the price for their guidance is our unquestioned obedience and submission to them. They could be toxic family members who insist on the right to suck all the life and energy out of us, including our relationship with the Lord. The one common characteristic, all such people, all those who ever share, is to distract, dilute, and ultimately get us to abandon our relationship with Jesus and his body, his church, and devote all our attention to them and their agendas. These are the ones we need to put clear boundaries on and, if necessary, cut out of our lives.